chapter 2, you can find that on page 528 in the Bible underneath the seat in front of you if you don't have your own Bible here with you this morning. We are in week 2 of our journey through Proverbs, which we'll be focusing on this fall. And last week as we began in Proverbs chapter 1, we looked at some introductory comments that Proverbs gives to us to understand Proverbs and our approach to Proverbs. Saw how Proverbs are Proverbs. They're not promises. They're not rules. They're Proverbs. And God has given them to us that we would grow wise in the skill and the art of godly living. And in particular, we saw that um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning, the foundation, the starting point of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. This week, we will be moving forward with the, with the idea of how do we grow in wisdom? How do, we, how do we find wisdom? How do we grow in wisdom? And that'll be our focus here this morning. Before I do so, a couple of things. One is last week we passed out some sermon notebooks, um, which John Woodward has in the back, and he'll be walking around. If you did not get one of those and like to take notes, which would be beneficial both in terms of you developing your own devotion guide for the book of Proverbs, um, will also be useful in your community groups. Um, for you to take notes this as we go through the series. He also has with him a bookmark of the verses listed in the book of Pro- in the sermon guide or in the sermon notebook. And these are our fighter verses that we are, as a church are going through this fall, which are tied to the sermon series. And these are verses that we want you to meditate on and to memorize. And this morning we're looking at Proverbs chapter 2, but the verse that best summarizes Proverbs chapter 2 actually is Proverbs chapter 3, Verses 5 through 7, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So as you reflect upon that, please meditate upon that verse this week and, and commit it to memory. Now, Proverbs chapter 2, how do we move forward in the path of wisdom? Looking at the whole chapter, (laughs) excuse me a second, it was an old cough drop, that's all I have to say. (laughs) Having a little trouble with it. All right, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered 
from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Let's pray for God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would send your spirit into our midst this morning, that you would send your spirit to open up our hearts, our minds to, our, to your word. Lord, we come before you and we seek you and we seek wisdom. And in seeking wisdom, we seek you. And Lord, we need you to give it to us. And Lord, we ask that you would do so for the honor of your name. We pray. Amen. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 begin with this encouragement to us. Seek wisdom. There is a series of conditional statements. It says this. My son, if you receive my words, if you treasure up my commandments with you, if you're making your ear attentive to my wisdom, and if you're inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight, and if you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it that is wisdom like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. The calling for us is that we would be a people who seek wisdom, that we seek it, that we call out for it, that we incline our hearts to it, that we listen to it, that we strive for it, that we, are, that we pursue after it, that we have a quest for wisdom in our life that is consistent, continual, Day in and day out, a quest that is consistent, also a quest for wisdom that is insistent, meaning we're not going to stop until we gain wisdom. And a quest that is persistent, consistent, insistent, persistent, meaning is undeterred, doesn't get, doesn't get swayed by obstacles, but a continued quest for wisdom. You see, throughout many passages of Scripture, when we talk about wisdom, we see that indeed wisdom is a gift from God that he gives us, and that will become clearer later in this passage. But not only is wisdom a gift from God, but wisdom also is something that is to be cultivated, something that we are to seek after, something that does not come to us naturally. You see, wisdom is not automatic. Nobody ever became wise by drifting through life nor by bouncing from experience to experience to experience, nor by gaining the pers- trying to find out what everyone else thinks about everything else. Wisdom isn't automatic. And indeed, we have to seek it out. And if we don't seek it out, we will not become wise. Ray Ortland put this a bit more aptly when he says this, you don't need to, you don't need to hate Jesus to waste your life. You only need to be okay with how you are. You don't need to hate Jesus to waste your life. You only need to be okay with how you are. You see, Proverbs 2, these first four verses, follow on the end of Proverbs chapter 1. And the end of Proverbs chapter 1 declares this, that the complacency of fools destroys them. You know the complacency of fools is that they say, you know what, I'm okay. I'm just going to go through life. I don't need to seek wisdom. I'm fine. Everything's okay. But wisdom doesn't come to us Just by floating through life, it must be sought out. We are called to seek wisdom. 
Now notice the structure here in Proverbs chapter 2. Verses 1 through 4 give this series of ifs. If you seek wisdom, if you receive my words, if you call out for it, if you seek wisdom, then, and there are two thens that that come out of it. One is verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. That is, if you seek wisdom, you will find God. And secondly, verse 9, if you seek wisdom, then you will find the way of wisdom. Verse 9, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. But notice the way this works. If you do this, then this will happen. There is a cause if you do these things, and there is effect. Then this is the result. We need to take an aside here for a moment and just, I need to explain what is meant by these conditional statements. Because throughout Scripture, you see a variety of conditional statements. If you do this, then this will occur. And oftentimes, these are, they, these are misunderstood. These conditional statements are here because why? Because you are a real person, and you make real decisions in your life. You are faced with real choices, and your real choices have real actions, and I'm sorry, have real results and have real consequences. But what becomes confusing for people is that people often see this cause and effect as obedience and rewards. They don't see it as cause and effect, but rather they see it as God saying, if you do this, then I'm going to reward you. But that's not what's happening here in this passage. It's not obedience leads to rewards, but rather cause and effect. Here's an example of this. If you exercise... If you discipline yourself and you exercise regularly, someone might say, well, if you do that, then you will, you will win the race when you, when you race. If you exercise, you will win the race. That is an act of obedience, a cause, if you exercise, and there is a reward. You will win the race. And sometimes, many times, people look at Scripture and say, if I do these things, then I will get this reward. I'll run the race and whatever it is. But there's a more fundamental aspect, and it's cause and effect, which is if you exercise, you'll get in better shape. Cause and effect. If you exercise, you will have a healthier body. Cause and effect. Not obedience and reward, but a fundamental order that our actions matter and our actions make, our actions make a difference. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, which pairs very well with the book of Proverbs and is a book that every Christian should read if you've never read it, Um, he picks up on the same idea talking about the confusion about rewards and obedience that occurs in the Christian's life. And he says that Christians oftentimes think this, and this is a little bit of an extended quote. He says, Christians think this, that if you keep a lot of rules, God says, I'll reward you. And if you don't, I'll do the other thing. I do not think that is the best way of looking at it, Lewis writes. I would much rather say that every time you make a choice— You are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all of your life long, you are slowly turning the central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. 
That is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us, at each moment, is progressing to the one state or to the other. That with every decision that we engage in, there is a cause and there is an effect. And the way that Lewis characterizes it is that with each decision, each decision shapes us and has an effect in the way that we're turning and the orientation of our life. To put it slightly differently, our character shapes our conduct. That is, the cause, our character, shapes our conduct, the effect. But then our conduct, in turn, shapes our character. And the actions that we engage in, the conduct that we have, in turn, shapes who we are, has the effect of shaping our heart. That our character shapes our conduct, and in turn, our conduct shapes our character. And what we see in the book of Proverbs in particular is this reminder laid out here, this fundamental nature of cause and effect that is describing and laying out the simple principle that the things that we do now have effects that will be with us forever and ever, world without end. The decisions that you make affect the course of your life for eternity. So, Coming back to this passage here with the cause and effects, we see verses 1 through 4 laying out the cause. If you seek God, here is the effect in verse 5. I'm sorry, if you seek wisdom, verse 1 through 4, here is the effect. You find God in verse 5. It describes it. If you do these things, if you seek wisdom, verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. What God is not saying here in this passage is he's not saying, if you seek me, I'll reward you by loving you more. If you seek me, I'll reward you by making your life better and you'll get into the college that you want to go to and you'll win the races that you want. If you seek me, I will reward you more. I will love you more. I will approve of you more. God is not saying that. And I know for many of us, that's particularly particularly difficult to understand and comprehend because your whole life has been based upon that orientation. Indeed, for some for some people here, maybe for many people here, is that you grew up in a home where love and approval was conditioned upon your performance. If you did well, your parents loved you. If you succeeded, your parents showed love to you. They approved of you. Their love and approval was the reward for your obedience. And it's very difficult, having grown up in that context, to understand God, that God does not operate that way. That God doesn't react that way. But rather, in this more basic cause and effect, what God is saying here is saying, if you seek wisdom, then you will find God. That is, if you seek wisdom, if you seek God, you will find God, and you will find, you will find him for all that he is worth. You will find that God is the most precious, most satisfying, most comforting, the most safe and secure thing or person that you could ever find in this life or that this life ever has to offer. That if you seek wisdom, you will find God. And when you find God, you will find the fullness of God and the abundant life that God has for you through Jesus Christ. If you seek him, you will find God for all that he is worth. Proverbs verse 6 then explains why this is the case. Why these two things are connected with each other. Why does seeking wisdom lead to finding God? 
Verse 6 says this, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Here is why if you seek wisdom, you will find God. Why? Because God is wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. He is the source. There is no other. There is never another source of wisdom apart from God. Knowledge and understanding are his. If you seek wisdom, you will find God. Here in Southern Maryland, if you pour a bucket of water on the ground and you follow it, it will lead you to a stream. That stream will lead you to a river. That river will lead you to a bay. That bay will lead you to the ocean. If you seek it, it, you will end in the ocean. So too, if you seek wisdom, you will find God because wisdom leads you to God because God is the source and indeed the person of all wisdom. And as you seek him and as you seek wisdom and you find, find God, what you will find is described in verses 7 and 8. If you seek wisdom, you will find God and indeed you will find the God who, verse 7, who stores up sound wisdom for the upright. The metaphor describing that God has wisdom to give. And God gives wisdom to those who seek wisdom. God gives wisdom to those who seek him. Let's state the contrast. God does not give wisdom to those who are self-impressed. He does not give wisdom to those who are people who are convinced that they've got the right perspective on life and they can go through life on their own ways. He's not giving wisdom to people who think they can figure out life for themselves and that they'll blaze their own course. He doesn't give them wisdom. That's the path of foolishness. But for those who seek wisdom, God has wisdom to give. He has sound wisdom stored for the upright to give to those who seek him. So too, you will find the God who... Seven, second half of the verse, is a shield to those who walk in integrity. In verse 8, you will find the God who guards the paths of justice, who watches over the ways of his saints. You will find the God who protects his people, who watches over them, who cares for them, who defends them, and that, yes, if you seek wisdom, you will find God and that God himself will do this in your life. That's the first then, the first effect laid out in this passage. If you seek wisdom, then you will find God. The second then comes in verse 9. If you seek wisdom, then you will find the way of wisdom. Verses 9 and 10. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, every good way, you could translate it. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. You seek wisdom and you find God. You seek wisdom and then you find the way of wisdom. It's described here as the paths of righteousness and justice. That is the path of right acting, righteousness, right acting. The path of justice, right advocating that is bringing rightness about for another person. You find the paths of righteousness and justice, right acting and right advocating. In short, when you're faced in life, you know what to do. When you're faced with decisions, you know which way to go. You have wisdom to see the way of wisdom through the decisions that you are faced with. And what that feels like is described in verse 10, is that wisdom comes into your heart. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul, that you have a mind and a soul that is at peace 
in the midst of the craziness and the chaos and the decisions of life. A couple of years ago, I was in Chicago, and you know, sometimes life is just crazy. And the decisions that we have to make seem to come at us from every given, different given direction. And a couple of years ago, I was in Chicago, and quite frankly, I don't particularly like visiting Chicago. And it might be because every time I visit Chicago, it's January. And Chicago in January in Chicago is miserable. I mean, it is freezing cold, and the wind is just howling through the city. And if you're walking in downtown Chicago, there's very little sunlight. And the reason why there's very little sunlight is because the buildings are so tall that they block out the light from the streets. And the streets are pretty narrow in Chicago, and so you've got these monoliths that just surround you. And if you're walking in downtown Chicago, there are things coming at you from every direction. You're going up to intersection to intersection. There are the cars that are whizzing by, the buses, the taxi cabs. There's the U that's going on overhead. There is the, the wind tunnel that is blasting you down the alleyway. And if it's sleeting, it is like bullets that are riddling through however many layers of clothes that you have. I mean, it is just pummeling you. And as you're walking down through the streets of Chicago, with all these different distractions, with all these different things coming at you, if you don't know where you're going, every intersection is a separate stressful decision. Because at every intersection, there is something else coming at you. There is something else for you to deal with and something else for you to avoid. And if you are in downtown Chicago and you are lost, and you are going to every intersection saying, which way do I go? And more things whiz past you. And the rain and the sleet pelts you some more and goes through all your clothes some more. And it comes at you again, and you go to the next intersection, and you're like, do I go this way? Do I go that way? Do I go this way? If you are lost in Chicago, what you need is you need the bird's eye view. You need to get above the fray in the midst, in the midst of the mess that is going on, and you need to see the pathway for you to walk on. And you see, what the way of wisdom is, is that the way of wisdom is the roadmap. The way of wisdom allows you to navigate all the different distractions at life. So when you have decisions coming at you from every different direction and you are at an intersection of life, every intersection doesn't become a separate stressful decision because you are walking in the way of wisdom. And the way of wisdom leads you in the path that you should go. What does that mean really tangibly? It means that when you are going through life and you feel that there are things that are overwhelming you, coming at you from every direction, in short, what it means is you don't need to run from life. It means you need to run to God. And you need to run to God because God prepares you for real life. And the way that he prepares you for real life is he gives you wisdom. And he gives you wisdom and insight and he fills your heart with peace so that if you seek wisdom— not only do you find God, but you find the way of wisdom to journey through the intersections of life. Notice what happens with this in seeking the way of wisdom here. Verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 11 describes this. It says, For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Verse 11, Discretion will watch over you, and understanding will guard you. Does that sound familiar? We just read almost the exact same thing a couple of verses earlier in verse 8, where it describes that God, if you seek wisdom, you find God, and God is guarding the paths of justice 
and watching over the way of his saints. But in verse 11, it says that discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you. See the interplay of these two things? How is it, how does God guard and watch over us? One of the ways that he does it is by giving you wisdom. By giving you wisdom to walk in the way of wisdom. How does God protect you? God protects you very tangibly. He protects you by showing you the way of wisdom so that you would walk in it. So that wisdom would protect you and guard you and that God is protecting you and guarding you. How is he guarding and protecting you? He's guarding and protecting you by giving you the way of wisdom to walk in it. These two things intertwined and tied together. Now what happens in the subsequent verses here is it describes some very practical examples of how seeking wisdom, you not only find God, but you find the way of wisdom. And how the way of wisdom works in us to navigate the challenges of life. In particular, what we see here is that the way of wisdom, first off, delivers us from devious men. Delivers us from devious men, verses 12 through 15. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, verse 12. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked, and who are devious in their ways. You see, if you find the way of wisdom, it delivers you from devious, from devious men. Devious men, you know, they wouldn't be a problem for us if, we didn't, if they didn't have what we wanted. You know, devious men are often men who are highly successful. Men who are formidable men who are powerful. Men who you want to impress and who you want to think well of you. Men who you want to be included by and well-regarded by. And as they invite you in, they're men who are drawing you into darkness. And a characteristic of these men is of their perverted speech. Indeed, verse 12 says this, Delivering you from the way of evil from men of perverted speech. That men who are on the way of evil, a characteristic is their perverted speech. You see, perverted speech is not limited to crass words and dirty jokes and lewd comments. But the sense of the Hebrew word for perverted is to turn upside down and inside out. It's a total upheaval. Words that are flipped around. So perverted speech is not only speech that is twisted and lewd and dirty and crass, but perverted speech is speech that takes good words and flips them and uses them badly. So consider the way that, just listen for this this week. Listen for the way that people use the word family or the way people talk about marriage or the way politicians talk about justice or patriotism. Listen to the way in your workplace that words like God and Jesus Christ are perverted where you work and in the way that people use them. Positive words that have been turned upside down and inside out. But the result of walking in the way of wisdom, the result of seeking wisdom is to walk in the way of wisdom. 
And in walking in the way of the wisdom is that you are not walking down the path of evil and the way of evil. Indeed, in these few verses, verse 12, notice how many times it's described that the way of wisdom, verse 12, delivers you from the way of evil, verse 13, from, the, from those who forsake the paths of the upright to walk in the ways of darkness, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. You see, the way of wisdom is not just simply about a state of being, it's about a state of living. It's the choices that you make, the way that the direction that your life is going, the decisions that you make, the choices that you follow, the way you conduct yourself, that it is expressed, the way of wisdom is expressed not in simply a time of personal meditation, but the way of wisdom is expressed in the way you live your life 24-7. And that is where it's expressed and where it's mattered. And you see something very practical laid out here. That the way of wisdom delivers you from devious men. In short, the way of wisdom is that you know what to do. You know how to apply the truth when you're dealing with a devious men, that you have become skilled in the art of godly living, and that in the midst of them, despite the alluring things that they say, and that you're tempted to believe, and that you're tempted to follow out of after, that the way of wisdom gives you insight and discretion and discernment to see through their words and to discern the path of evil and the way of wisdom and to walk down the way of wisdom. But not only does finding the way of wisdom deliver us from, de- from, uh, from devious men, the way of wisdom also delivers us from deadly women, verses 16 through 19. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth, that would be her husband, and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Key key phrase here, verse 16. The forbidden woman from the adulteress with her smooth words. Do you notice that both on the way of evil, that the pathway for the devious men and the pathway for deadly women are both, the gateway to both of those is speech. Men of perverted speech. Adulterous, the adulterous woman with her smooth words. But the way of wisdom allows you to see through the words and walk on the path of life and to reject the path of death. Verse 16, let's, let's take a look at this deadly woman a little bit closer because verses 16 through 19 lay it out. Verse 16 says, you'll be delivered from the adulteress with her smooth words. What's that? Well, first off, who is this woman? It says, verse 17, who forsakes the companion of her, of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. The woman that's being described here is not a woman that's out there. It's a woman that's in here. This, the woman that's being described in this passage is a married woman who goes to church who has a professed faith in Jesus, who has a covenant with Jesus Christ. One who has forsaken the companion of her youth and the covenant of her God. This is someone who is identifying themselves as a worshiper of God, who goes to church, says they're a follower of Jesus Christ, who's engaging in this. And it says that this woman, with her smooth words, well, what are those? 
So a woman who says, you know what, I, to, to a married man, to a man who's not her husband, I want you. You make me feel alive. You make me feel ways that I have never felt with anybody else. You, you, make, you make me feel beautiful. You make me feel and experience things that, that I've never experienced or felt before. Unfortunately, I have had too many conversations with people who have gone down this path. And when I say too many, one is too many, but it's been way more than that. And most commonly, the way that smooth words begin to come off are things like this, as we begin to show them the path, when this is, you know, whether women who are going into affairs or single women who are pursuing um, men, and particularly, you know, pursuing men outside of marriage, begin to show them the path of wisdom and the path and the way of evil. And probably the most common response, not the only response, but the most common response that I get is this. You know what? I don't believe that anymore. You know, the stuff in the Bible is too restrictive. I, I just know that if I, if I follow my heart, my heart's not going to lead me astray. And for a person who's been a part of the church, what is so saddening to me is that I'm speaking to a person for whom their, their conduct has shaped their character. And their character is now shaping their conduct, and their continued conduct continues to shape their character. And so they are doing things, and by the things that they have been engaged in, in walking down the way of evil and down the evil path, their perspective is distorted, and they don't see clearly. They are deceived and are, being, and are, they're deceived and are, being, and are fools, thinking that they see clearly when they have only deceived themselves. The evil path that they go down not only brings death to themselves, but also to the men that they ensnare. Verse 18 and 19 describe a little bit further about the path of the deadly woman. And verse 18 and 19 says this, that for her house sinks down to death and her path to the departed, none who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. That's Old Testament language saying this, that there's no such thing as a one-night stand. That if you go down that path, things get complicated fast. That sex is never just an act. It is never just that simple. It is never just one thing that happened that doesn't occur again or that doesn't have any continuing ramifications. God didn't design it that way. And it's foolish to think otherwise. And what we see here is for those that have gone down the path of the deadly woman, either as a woman or as a man. For those that have continued on that path, it says, none who go to her will come back, nor do they regain the paths of life, meaning that none who go down that journey, do they ever turn back? They've got, they don't have a hope of turning back. And for people who go down that path, what they need is an almighty Savior to rescue them from the path of folly that they are on. An almighty Savior who will pursue after them, who will rescue them not only from the way of evil, but will rescue them from the foolishness of themselves. And as he rescues them from the path of evil, as he rescues them, is that Jesus Christ breaks the bondage to sexual sin. And through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, not only does Jesus take the punishment for our sin, 
Does he remove our guilt and our shame through what Jesus Christ has done? But Jesus, through his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, took the punishment of our sin and has broken the power of sin in our lives. That if you seek out wisdom, not only do you find God, but you find the way of wisdom and you find a Savior who will redeem your life and who sets you free from the power of sexual brokenness and sexual sin and puts you on the path of wisdom to life and to a life of eternal delight. But the way that that comes is by turning and crying out to Jesus, crying out to him, calling out to him that if you are one who has been, where you are being tempted by the deadly woman, you're being tempted by the perverted by perverted speech, that you're being tempted by the devious man, the way of wisdom allows you to enter in, to be in that situation and know the way out. And the way of wisdom calls you out of that bondage and calls you in the moment of temptation to run, to not stand and fight it, to not be concerned about your reputation, but to run from the adulterer to run away from them and run towards God. And when you run towards him, you will find him for all that he is worth. Let me give a positive encouragement in this as well. Is that for you here who are married, walk the path, the way of wisdom. That is, walk the way of wisdom, leave from this place and go home and look at your spouse in the eyes and and commit yourself and recommit yourself to your spouse wholeheartedly all over again. And to say, you are the one that I love and you are the one that I am committed to forever and ever until death do us part. So too, if you are single, the way of wisdom is calling you for you to go home and to fall down in prayer and give yourself all over again to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To devote yourself to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're married, to devote yourself to your spouse. And what you will find is that 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 simple act of wisdom will guard your path and will guard your life. The way of wisdom delivers us from devious men and from deadly women, and finally it delivers us into eternal delight. Verse 21 through 22. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. The key phrase here is this, for the upright will inhabit the land. That phrase, will inhabit the land, is Old Testament language for eternal rest and delight. We see this in the promise to the people of Israel, that the promise after all their, their wandering through the desert is that they would inhabit the land, that after they were in exile, that they would inhabit the land. We see that Hebrews says about Abraham, that the promise for Abraham that was Abraham by faith looked to the land that was not yet his own, that he looked forward to the city whose designer was God, looked forward to the day when he would inhabit the land of eternal delight. And what Proverbs is calling to us through God's word, saying, if you seek wisdom, you will find God and you will find the way of wisdom and the way of wisdom will take you to eternal delight through Jesus Christ. An eternal delight that not only fills you, yes, in the future when you die, but an eternal delight that works in your life right now. And the calling for us in this passage is quite simple. 
The first four verses begin by saying, if this, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this. The calling is this, don't make it an if. Don't make this passage an if in your life, but rather seek wisdom. Call out for wisdom. Raise your voice for understanding. Seek it like silver. Pursue after it. Be on a quest for wisdom, and as you seek it, you will find God, and you will find God for all that he is worth. And so, may we seek wisdom and find God. And may we seek God and find wisdom. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and praise you because you are wisdom. You are life, and you lead us on the course of life. And Lord, I thank you for Jesus Christ, through who, through his death and resurrection, has broken the power of evil, has not only set us free from the punishment and the guilt and shame of our sin, but indeed has set us free from the power of sin in our lives, that we do not have to sin, that the sin has no power over us. Thank you that you are our rescuer, that you are our savior, that you are our deliverer, that you are the one who delivers us from devious men and from deadly women. And Lord, we ask that you would do so, that you would send your spirit, that we would seek wisdom and find you for all that you're worth, and that you would lead us on the way of wisdom, and that the way of wisdom would be manifested in our life. Lord, I pray for those who are crying out right now for your deliverance. Holy Spirit, draw them close to yourself and know that, may they know that you are the God who saves, who rescues, who redeems, who protects, and who delivers. And Lord, we pray that you would grow us in wisdom, that it would be manifested in our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.